0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dallas Comedy Club podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Lou, and I am here today with the very funny improviser, Emily Badeau. You can catch Emily. Uh, did I say her last name right? Bedeau. You did. Badeau, yes. Uh, you can catch Emily on her two teams, Homeowners Association every Wednesday night and Don't Broken, Not Fixin' every Sunday night. Uh, and you can check exact times for both of those teams by checking out Dallas-ComedyClub.com. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. Of
1: course. Thank you so much for having me i'm excited to talk about myself it's my favorite subject
0: (laughs) (laughs) um we are comedians and actors and of course we love ourselves Mm -hmm. um you have to you, you do. Have to. You really do because the world tries to tell you you're not good enough as a performer. Mm-hmm. Always. So um, you have to fucking love yourself. I didn't mention that before. Feel free to curse. There's, It's totally fine. Uh, Thank fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, uh, so I'm really curious because I don't, as you know, everyone knows I'm very new to Dallas, especially new to this community, and I don't know anything about anybody. So I want to know all about Emily. When, what is your earliest comedic memory? So Oh, god. Whether it was like watching your mom like slip on a banana peel or like <laughs> an SNL sketch or an in living color sketch or um, like the first YouTube video that stuck out to you. Just what what is that memory where you're like, oh, my God,
1: I remember how funny that was. Sure. Probably way too early in my life, my dad introduced me to Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yes. Which has not aged well <laughs> <laughs> in, in a lot of aspects, but I think that it really, like, like having those bonding moments with him over that show really sort of cemented, like, this is the flavor of comedy that I really like. Very fever dream. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes from, like, a very genuinely emotional place. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily very gamey. And it's mostly focused on very strange characters, yeah. right? So that started, that started things. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I, I remember my, oh man, sorry, oh it's okay. Um, I, I remember my, uh, my cousin's now wife also introduced me to Clue, nineteen seventy eight, oh, Tim great Curry, great film, incredible. And that, it, and it, that sort of sent me off into, oh, all right, well, uh, like that kind of murder mystery. Very old-fashioned, like dry sarcasm, mm-hmm. a dry sense of humor, and <laughs> I'm repeating myself. Oh, a that's I'm okay. I'm so sorry. Oh, stop! Uh, this is
0: not a place to judge yourself, girl. Where's that confidence we started it
1: with? Come on. Damn, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> so started with that, and uh, and then a lot of like, and really, like my dad introduced me to a lot of different things. So there was Monty Python's Flying Circus, HomestarRunner.com, which was just yeah. this really old Flash website that. It wasn't really like it it wasn't really popular on YouTube necessarily, but by its own right, it was just a lot of like really well crafted, silly sketch comedy. Yeah. Would you say that your dad had a pretty big impact on you as a as like a lover of comedy as as a funny person and as encouraging me? not necessarily intentionally to think about why things were funny because I, I was an only child. And mm-hmm. so a lot of our back and forth was just us trying to entertain ourselves, right? Because I <laughs> didn't have anybody my age to hang out with yeah. at home. So um I, I remember a lot of my childhood trying to make my parents laugh and it was the weird stuff that would get them too. And we would always kind of have a moment afterwards where we we're like, why did we laugh at that for so long? And we never knew. I remember uh, one time when I was seven, I I was just messing around while my parents were watching a movie and I put gloves on my feet and I walked around for probably about 30 minutes and every time they saw me, they would cry themselves almost close to tears. I wasn't even really doing anything funny. It was just like... Here's
0: their silly little daughter running around with gloves on her feet. Sure. I love it. Yeah. Is there a particular moment in um, your childhood or just in life, in your life in general where you were like, this... This is the moment that I've decided I'm going to pursue comedy.
1: Oh, for sure. What what Um, was that moment? It was quite a while after that, after college. I graduated in 2015 and I moved in with a friend and that ended up not working out and I had to move back home with my parents. So that friendship kind of ended because our cohabitation situation didn't work and the person who I had moved in with was like my only friend in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of didn't really know what to do with myself. I was just walking around. I spent a lot of time in in Deep Ellum a lot first because my parents and I went to the uh, Undermain Theater Company. Yeah, they did a couple plays, and so as you know, after we would go see that, we would walk walk around and like go to a restaurant or whatever. And I actually passed by dallas comedy house when it was still on maine mm-hmm. and they had a sandwich board outside and I, and it's so funny because i would have like fights with that sandwich board when i was interning <laughs> and i remember thinking like you got me into this but god damn it i wish you would stay upright for one yeah. goddamn second <laughs> um so i passed by the sandwich board that was advertising like comedy classes and at the time i kind of thought oh that's, I didn't know you could take classes for that. That's really cool. I like learning. I'm a massive dork and an only child, as previously stated. So that yeah. seems right up my street. But I didn't start immediately at DCH. I, that made me kind of think, well, I don't know about improv. I don't know what that is. But I know what stand-up is. And I think that I would like to try that first. Mm-hmm. So I went online. First thing that came up was Hyena's uh, Hyena's Comedy Club. They have a couple locations in downtown, and they had recently opened one up in Plano, um, which was closer to where I lived at the time. So I went and I checked out that open mic, and the first night there, I'm I met uh, someone named Mana who uh, I know Mana. Mana yeah, is great um, for locals in DFW. She's she's like she's the one. I feel like like she and I think that she actually. Just gotten i don't know if i'm allowed to say this maybe she she just got invited to do like some kind of television special she posted about it on facebook yeah um, she was
0: very cryptic about it um but it's okay we'll we'll check in with mona and see if we're allowed to have mentioned that. Right. And if not, we can always edit this out edit,
1: for sure so. if we are then she's doing that um and if we aren't allowed to talk about that then she hosts um like she started her own series of open mics called claws out but i and, and that would all come later. I just remember like speaking with her and she was so friendly, which isn't always the case when you go to an open mic. Yeah. And I feel like especially being a woman, you kind of encounter a lot of like not super nice people when you go out late at night. And it was so nice to be able to find somebody who was like, oh, this person is, you know, genuinely excited that I've come to try this new thing. And they're also a woman. And um, yeah, so that, that sort of made me feel more like comfortable enough to come back. Yeah. Um, And I can't remember whether it was her or somebody else who I met, but somebody at some point said, oh, yeah, if you want to get better at stand up, you should take improv classes because it will make you more comfortable on stage. And at the time I had pretty crippling social anxiety still. And I still do. Um,
0: We all do. Right. For sure.
1: (laughs) Um, And I. And I thought, well, I had anything that will make me like loosen up on stage because I could feel it. Right. I would try to deliver these jokes and I could feel myself stumbling over myself. I couldn't get out of my head. Right. Yeah. And then I remembered that fucking sandwich board. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so went back online and I signed up and uh, my, I'm never going to forget my first night of like the very first time I took an improv class because it was Halloween night, 2015. And I went, Sarah Wyatt was my teacher and she would go on to be like a very big motivator for me, like somebody who I really looked up to, especially in that, uh, in the DCH community. Mm. We did the class and then she encouraged us, Hey, there's a lot of really good shows going on tonight. It's Halloween. Everybody's going to be there. The audiences are going to be packed. This is a really good opportunity for you to go see some good improv. Yeah. And I don't think anybody else stuck around, but I did. The training center was right next door to the theater. And I remember walking out of like the fairly empty training center, heading down the street, seeing all of the nightlife people kind of heading deeper in towards Deep Bellum in the opposite direction yeah. that <laughs> I was heading. And going into the um, into the theater and just being shocked that there was, it was a party, right? Yeah. There were so many people dressed up. And I the first comedy show that I saw was the improvised horror film, which is actually still currently running with a lot of the same cast here at Dallas Comedy Club. Eight um, years
0: that it's that Tab's been doing that show for eight years now. That's incredible. And She's a she's really, another one
1: who's just incredible. It's so impressive.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, for any of you out there who you know are active improvisers or in the comedy scene, you'll know. How rare it is to have not only a team stick together for eight years, but to have a show that is essentially a seasonal show come back over and over and over again. For sure. Um, anyway, so that was your first experience, like, watching an improv show? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, like, exactly. Wow, what, and what a, a
1: high standard to set. For sure. And having grown up with, like, very dark, drier senses of humor and being a horror fan myself, it was very cool to see, like, oh, this is, like, the theme that I like this this can be done and still be funny yeah. and I didn't know it at the time but it was also just really some solid comedy I seem to remember Bonnie Chris was on the team at the time Jason Hackett Emily Gee I, I believe as well definitely David Allison was there so many people who would kind of influence me later and I didn't even know yeah and from that it was like that was it yeah. Really, and sorry, that was a very convoluted answer. No, that's to a great. Your- that's
0: what we want. We want those long, beautiful answers. That's when the bug infests at your brain. I mean, I I joke all the time, but it's like. It really is like joining a, a cult, it feels like, because there is so much positivity that is not the norm in, like, a stand-up environment or and even being in a play or, um, like, theater companies. There's a lot of, like, cutthroat feeling surrounding, I think, those realms of this world. And then you, you find improv and everyone's like, got your back, yes, and we're in this together. And it is... In a world that says no, it's so refreshing to finally find a place that's like, yes, you're weird and different, and we say yes to this. It's Mm -hmm. magic. So do you, because I think I saw you at the open mic the other night, do you still do open mics? Are you still
1: kind of pursuing stand-up? Occasionally. um, It's not not really as consistent as I think that anybody should be if they want to pursue stand-up. And actually, I had an experience not too long ago that kind of reminded me why I sort of prefer improv not necessarily like this community of improv specifically, but just as like a genre of self-expression. I went back to a hyena's open mic. Oh gosh. Like probably like a month or two ago. Mm -hmm. And it, and, and one of the, like kind of an insider thing is that you go to that open mic to, yeah, you go to do like your three minutes or whatever, but mainly you go to socialize and meet other comics. Right. Right. And to kind of show your face and be like, Hey, like I can show up and behave myself in a, in a club setting and not, you know, cause a lot of trouble.
0: Right. I'm not going to get so hammered that like, I'm going to make a fool of myself. Precisely. on your shows.
1: Yeah. Right. And then, and you know, it's also just a good place for people who rewatch that tape to see like, okay, this is how this person conducts themselves at a rough open mic because it is rough. Yeah. And I signed up, didn't sign up early enough. It happens. I ended up being one of the last people to go up and I waited around there for like three hours. Woof. Yeah. I finally went up and I wasn't expecting to do well. You never do. The room was, maybe had like four or five people in it and they were all talking to each other, yeah. right? It, it doesn't matter. So did my thing, didn't get any laughs. My last joke was about, like it's some stupid shock joke about about how princess diana was stupid for not wearing a seat belt, which is very not not my actual opinion on the situation and but it's taken out of
0: context folks all 100%. right
1: 100 percent um and that did get kind of like a oh delighted and then one the lady this lady right in front of me goes wow a joke she finally told a joke oh what an asshole what a bitch and i just was kind of like oh Thanks for that. And I just, I just left. And it was so wild because I had actually never been heckled before. I had been doing comedy for um, not counting the pandemic, like four or five years at at this point. And I had never had somebody who was so actively like, you know, and it wasn't even that bad of a, let me poop on your parade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, precisely. And really I should count myself lucky that that has never happened to me before.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, t- uh, and you know, th- I don't want to turn this into like a let's, let's bad mouth other clubs, but I'm curious, was there any sort of repercussion for that person from the hyena staff of like, Hey, you can't do that. Or, Hey, like you got to get out of here if you're going to behave that way. Cause to me, I look at an open mic similar to a jam in that it's, it's there for you to work out your material. As you said, it's not going to be this like perfectly polished show. And nine times out of 10, 98% of the people in the room are other stand ups who are there to work out their own material. And so I I always, I don't know, I I hate, I mean, heckling in any show sucks, but like when it happens at an open mic, especially, I'm like, what are you doing? It,
1: yeah. And I think, and once again, this answer is probably gonna be more convoluted. Beautiful. (laughs) I I love it. I, at first, I think that I, I can't speak to like what their policy is because I don't know. Right. But I will say that in other, instances where that has happened and it's been like bad the my the the comics that come up after or the host who's hosting that block will take care of it. Yeah. They'll call that person out. They're more experienced. They'll make them feel pretty bad about themselves. Yeah. I didn't stick around because I was kind of like I mean I I was exhausted and I didn't want to deal with it, so I just left. Yeah. But uh, Peter Young uh, was the one hosting that block and I I imagine that he mentioned something. Yeah. But I I and so so that's one thing. Like I think that like, comics usually take care of each other at that mic. But as far as the club itself, I will say that they are they're more old school. Yeah, they market to the type of demographic that's like I I don't know the exact name for it, but it's it's more like a stand up tour circuit. So part of doing that type of comedy and part of becoming successful for those types of clubs means that you have to be able to deal with it. Yeah. So if it happens, you demonstrating that you know how to handle it and you know how to command the stage despite that happening mm-hmm. matters much more to them than it does fostering like a positive community. Right. And not to say that like they that isn't also part of their goal, but I don't think that it's if like, if we're talking about them as a business, that's not necessarily their concern, right? right? Like you kind of have to pony up and be able to handle it.
0: Like get that, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the tough skin, like that hide, mm-hmm. right? Like you gotta have that. And I think that's why I'm still so scared to stand up. Cause I'm like, I know myself. I will get into a fight with someone who tries to heckle me. And it won't be like the funny fight of like, oh, I'm going to take your thing and
1: make you look dumb. I'm just going to get mad. See, I am afraid that I will cry. I can't fight. I'm not, I think that might be like where the New Yorker and the Southerner kind of split off is that I have no, I was never like, I was never necessarily encouraged to like fight back or like stand up for myself. It was a lot of like, well, you know, just, Turn the other cheek, take the high road. You're yeah. the better person, and you can't be. You really can't be the better yeah. person in that kind of situation. But at all of that to say, it's. I, I think that for improv theaters specifically, there's there's more of an incentive to discourage that type of behavior because you also you you cater to multiple types of comedy, right? right? Sketch is much more controlled because if it's it if you're watching something and you know that it's like a story being told, there's a disincentive to interrupt that when it's improv a lot of it happens so fast and it's so on the fly that most of the time that won't happen you know Mm. or if it's or if it's somebody who is like engaging it's because they want to participate and it comes from a positive place even though the effect is not positive right but stand-up is very different and I just burped into the mic (laughs) 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 that
0: one was for you listeners (laughs) um well because it's funny because I think you're right like you know when somebody knows it's scripted they're almost better behaved. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so funny because I think, I and again, this is just my experience with a lot of clubs in New York and now being here in, in Dallas. It's funny to see how eager a stand-up audience in Dallas is to interact with the stand-up. I have never seen so much talk back from an audience to stage mm-hmm. as I've witnessed here in Dallas and I don't know if it's just because you know when you go see a, a stand-up show in New York it's a lot of other stand-ups or comedians or people who are in the world and understand the world and know that this is someone who spent hours and days and months working <laughs> on their material and then you come here and it's like I feel like they think that stand-ups are improvising and mm-hmm. that they're like they're a lo- like they want to interact with you and I so often I just want to be like have you ever watched a stand-up special. Mm -hmm. There is no audience interaction. It's just wild. And it kind of brings me back around to uh, the... form that homeowners Association does mm-hmm. uh, so homeowners Association is Emily's club team they perform every Wednesday night in an alternating time slot uh, you can again check out the website to see when they are performing next and at what time uh, but their form is they start off with a town hall opening and then move into what's called a slacker and the town hall opening is uh, one member of their team comes out from backstage and sort of hosts this town hall and uh, you know they they get the audience suggestions of something that you hate or love about your neighborhood. And then immediately all the lights in the room go on and the rest of the team has been planted in the audience and they stand up and do a "hear, here, here, here. And it's this call uh, call and repeat or or, or whatever that's called. And I know that when we first started rehearsing this, a concern several members on the team had was like, what happens if someone in the audience tries to participate Mm -hmm. in that part? You know, what if they're drunk? What if they think it, this is part of it that they're allowed to do it? And I'm shocked and amazed that it has not happened yet. Mm-hmm. Not a single audience member has tried to stand up or yell something at the stage. Sure. And I don't know if I don't know if that's just because we've got like. I don't know, I think there's a different type of audience that comes sees an improv show than, than goes see a, a stand-up show.
1: I, I would say so, yeah. there's And it's also like a cultural thing, too, right? Yep. Um, and I'm sure that there's, again, I'm sure there's somebody more educated out there who could probably explain the nuances of this. But Texans are really about, like... This is gonna be good, <laughs> uh, and this is also weird because like I I grew up here, but I don't necessarily consider myself a Texan. Right? Why why is um, that? Where where in Texas is, did you grow up? I I grew up in Plano, okay, which is really just suburbia. All right. Um, I went to public school in Frisco, um, which is like middle upper middle, you know. So it's it's absolutely not like it. I don't I don't think that that I I don't know I I, I think that people here are a lot more outspoken, but in a different way than people in the Northeast are, and of course the caveat being, I have not I have not spent any time in the Northeast. We want it, Texans want to feel comfortable, and they want their opinion heard. Yeah, and it does not matter what the scene is, right? There's also not a very public performance is not very highly revered here, not because there isn't a demographic that doesn't respect it but because it's not part of our historical culture. Mm. So when Texans go to see like a community theater performance, they're expecting like a very particular type of show, right? They want, most of the time, they want a story that will engage them. They're not necessarily looking for like an artistic demonstration or what have you. They're not really looking to be shocked mm-hmm. or intellectually stimulated in and <laughs> <laughs> and and like that sounds so crummy they they want to have most for m- most of the time like the type of people who go to those shows want a wholesome time with their family yeah or they want a wholesome time with their older spouse so when they go and they are shocked by a theater show they they don't really know like they if, if it goes outside of their expectations, they don't really know how to react to it. Yeah. So I think that part of the reason why homeowner's dissociation hasn't encountered any problems yet is because it's shocking. Like if yeah. you see the show for the first time, you're not expecting all of these people in the audience to suddenly jump up and just be there, right there. So I think that that helps us out quite a bit. With stand up, they kind of know what they're going into. And there's also that very uneducated view of well, I'm helping you get better or I'm I'm participating or whatever. And I will and to anybody listening who still holds that opinion, I would encourage you to watch um that episode of Louis where he has a very earnest conversation with a heckler. Louis C.K. is a piece of shit, but he did that episode right. Yeah. And I I I wish that I could remember the title of it too. I mean, I think it's like episode four or five or something like that of the show Louis. I'm
0: gonna make a note of it to look it up after the fact, so we can list it for awesome,
1: yeah, wonderful, and actually provide useful information (laughs) instead of just oh uh, yeah, this vague thing. Go look it up. Um, But it's it has a lot of people also forget. I think that performers are people too, and culturally, I don't think that Texans are really geared to remember that all the time. Yeah. Um, In social settings, like being like, you know, that whole thing of like, oh, you're new in town. Well, I'll come make you dinner. Like that very stereotypical thing. It happens, but it has to be on terms that they expect.
0: It's so funny you say that. I, um you know, I've lived in a lot of different places in this country. I did um, a very long time out in LA, lived in New York. I did a short stint in Chicago and um now in Dallas. And every time I've moved, you know, you meet people and they're like oh here's a great restaurant recommendation here's a a great sushi spot right like all that kind of stuff dallas was the first place i moved to where i didn't have just one i've had several people be like let me come over and cook for you why don't you come over and i'll Aww. i'll make you dinner me and my my wife will will make you dinner one night and it's like i the first couple of times it happened i was like Oh, that's so sweet. Thanks. That's and I'm like, oh, that it's gonna be forgotten. That was just to like make me feel welcome. But like those same people keep bringing it up, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh wow, they're serious. They're like, they want me to feel welcome here. 100. Um, and that is definitely not something that you encounter in Chicago or or LA or New York. People are very nice in all of those places, but there's not this like warmth of. Oh, you're new, let me take care of you. Um, mm-hmm. and I that is a very lovely part of Dallas that I'm enjoying of like, oh man, I feel very a part of a community and I've only been here for like two months. I'm so glad. yeah. I'm curious to know what like if you have a particular moment on stage or in, in a classroom where like when you're having a bad day, you revisit the joy of that scene. Mm-hmm. Like that that moment, favorite moment in, in class or on stage, where you're like, God. That that set may have sucked, but like I still remember that scene I did with so
1: and so and that's what gets me through it when I'm having a bad day. What what is that? It's actually it's a negative moment that spurs me on. And I don't remember this gentleman's name. So and I wouldn't say it if I did. But at a jam at Dallas Comedy House, I wanna say that this was like twenty seventeen or something. So Mm -hmm. I I knew what I was doing, but I wasn't I, I was still encountering new experiences every time I performed. We were at a jam and it was pretty late and the room was packed yeah. and it was all like, most of it was comedians. Um, I would say that there were like one or two like muggles that had come in off the street. That's, <laughs> oh yeah, th- I forgot. That's what we call um, normies. Uh, normies or people who don't, don't do, uh, have not done improv before. There were a couple muggles. There were like a few students and stuff who hadn't performed yet there, but mostly it was like seasoned performers, which mm-hmm. is, which was unusual for a jam. And I stepped out, me and my scene partner initiated, something to do with like me being a mom and talking to my child, Mm -hmm. right? And the child brought up that like, oh, you and dad have been having problems and it really worries me. And like, here I am all primed and ready to like, you know, just do this positive emotional mom thing. And my scene partner got tapped out by this gentleman Mm -hmm. um, who, They got tapped out. He pulled up a chair and then he space worked his erect penis and looked at me. And I just kind of waited for him. And he said, "Uh, honey, I really don't know if I want to have sex tonight. And and I said, oh, thank God, neither do I. And I turned around and I left him on stage with his dick in his hand. Oh, my God. It's the best
0: way to handle that. I mean, for Mm -hmm. every young improviser out there, you are going to have a moment where – Male, female, non-binary, I don't care, like, what gender uh, you identify as. Like, you will have a moment with someone on stage where they are going to make you feel so uncomfortable mm-hmm. like that. And I feel like the way you handle that moment is, it's perfect because you're not telling him he's a bad person for doing that move. But what you are saying is, is I'm not going to engage in this. Mm-hmm. So,
1: have fun with your imaginary dick in your hand. Precisely. And it's, it's not... And it's so wild because that's not yes and, Mm-mm. right? That's yes anding yourself. Yep. And I remember thinking back on that, and I remember like hearing the the delight from people who had been doing improv for a while. And I remember thinking, I'm so proud of myself for being able to give myself the power to handle it in yeah. a funny way while also respecting myself. I would argue you yes and it the fuck out of that move (laughs) I
0: mean he was like I don't want to have sex and you were like yes and neither do I (laughs) good day sir. good day
1: sir enjoy your fake dick in hand um Um, but yeah but I'll think about that and then I'll think that and I think that when the concern in homeowners dissociation that well if we're in the audience what if they begin to interact with us I think that it's something to consider, but it's also not really something to worry about, you right. know, because when you when you have that instinctual development of like, all right, this is how you respond to things in the the quote unquote right way. Right. Then it becomes a non-issue because once we've started that, we've started the show. Yeah. Right. And I think it's pretty
0: clear that the show has started, you know, I mean, that's why we that's why it starts with a here, here, basically immediately. So that way the audience understands these are the ones in the show Mm -hmm. and you're the ones not. Right. Um okay, so we're going to we're going to hard shift now into some really fun goofy questions. Ooh, the okay. goofy yeah. goofy section. Um so I want to know if you could insert yourself into any movie or TV show in history, which would it be? And this is not like you're going to be like, like instead of a Steve Carell playing about uh, Michael Scott, you get to play Michael Scott. It's like you would just be another character in the office. Ooh, so like okay. what what show or movie would you be like that's that's the one. I just wish I had been a part of that oh world. Gosh.
1: Does it have to be a comedy? No, not at all. No, no, okay. no, no. Are you going to say Twin Peaks? No. You <laughs> know, Twin Peaks has been on my list to watch for so long. I haven't been. Dude, everybody tells me that it's up my street and I just haven't, haven't gotten to it. Let me think for a second. Yeah.
0: I know uh, for me it's like... Seinfeld is up there. Thirty Rock is up there for me personally um, because those are just two shows that I will revisit over and over and over again.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, probably, man. I hate to say like, I hate to say Clue again, but honestly, <laughs> probably Clue because or Clue or Knives Out oh, or yeah. or a type of a type of universe where there's like a whodunit to be solved and there are very rich characters. Yeah, a lot of my. I, I didn't figure this out until like two or three years into actually doing improv, but a lot of what I do well involves character work. Yeah. If I can find a character, and it doesn't even have to be a funny character, if I can find somebody with a unique perspective and a unique desire, then I will be able to do whatever in the Like the, the scene at that point doesn't matter, right? Because yeah. it's, it's really just like these two people having a dialogue.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing that I, you know, I feel like eludes so many early improvisers is they're trying to they're trying to be funny. They're trying to be weird. And instead, it's just like just be a human being and focus on that relationship mm-hmm. right there in that moment. And oh, everything you need is right in front of you.
1: For sure. Uh, probably like. Uh, I, I guess my secondary answer to that question would be doing voice acting in some kind of oh, like yeah. cartoon or something. Like honestly, I would love to be a gargoyle in Gargoyles. Oh my god! I would love to do that. I don't know what kind of character I would play. I don't know uh, whether I would just have a one episode run or not. I don't care. I just want that to happen.
0: <laughs> that's that's feasible. You could start doing
1: voice work in Dallas, man. <gasps> she is. I have. Well, I've only done I've only done it like once. For uh, and I actually don't know the status of the release yet because it kind of got lost in the pandemic sauce. Mm-hmm. It's I, I believe the name of it is Laughing Under the Clouds Gaijin Okay, is the name of it. It's an anime, and I played uh, Ninja Woman number three. yeah! <laughs> and Kidnapped Girl. Oh, amazing! You had yeah. two roles. I, do, I did, and I think that I, I think that he also had me do like some little kid in the background, awesome. like like for ambient noise or something but uh but yeah that was that was a really cool experience i would love to do it again if anybody Wink, wink, wink 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 nudge nudge i feel like um
0: improvisers in general are like the perfect voice actors um and they gravitate towards it because you know if you're an actor you are limited to your type um when you audition and you go out for roles you'll find that you go out for very similar things over and over and over again because you look a certain way and that's how tv and movies work it's a bummer but it's like you get sent out for your type and then improv is this like magical playground where you can play a pencil or you can play a grandma when you're only 22 or you can be like the troll under the bridge and mm-hmm. like every type of character you could possibly want to play you can and then you have voice acting, and that's that world, where it's like suddenly it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what your type might be on camera, but suddenly you get to just do everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it so much. So if you could choose a song to play every time you entered a room, what song would that be?
1: Oh, easy, uh, Dead and Friends by Them Crooked Vultures. Hell yes. I love that song, and specifically because it's like not just – I, like I don't think it's necessarily like me for my intro song I just think it's a great song to listen to when you're thinking about doing improv hell yeah so you know take that for what you would.
0: hell yeah do you consider yourself lucky as far as just like, in life in in like in yeah. some ways yeah um,
1: I think that I'm I think that I'm very lucky to be able to still have performance opportunities despite a year of you know not being not having that yeah um, I think it's wonderful that there's people who are still interested in doing that sort of thing and seeing this type of art. And I, and I think that it also depends on like what lucky means for different people, sure. right? Do I want like the Britney Spears lucky? Oh. <laughs> kind of oh. like the notoriety kind of thing? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I have the emotional uh, fortitude <laughs> to do that. But but I mean, I'm happy, you yeah. know, I'm happy to perform and stuff. So yeah, yeah hell yeah, you're lucky
0: then. If you had to to choose a title for it right now what would the title of your like autobiography or your Netflix special be
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the title of the special but I want if I ever start hosting a variety show I want it to be called uh, Evil Emily's Evil Flying Machine I love that I've I don't know why but I've had that like title, I, I do know why actually, yeah. I've, uh, my dad would, um, he went to Catholic school in Louisiana, actually Holy Cross in New Orleans, uh, mm-hmm. which is sort of infamous if you're from that area. And one of the one of the brothers who taught there, I, fr- I forget his name, oh no, I know his name, it was Brother Emil, um, <laughs> how, how could I forget? He would ride his bike to school every day and the boys would, they would they would call it his evil flying machine, right. Evil Emily and his evil flying machine. And so, I don't know. That just kind of. Oh,
0: stuck. I love that. It's yeah. great alliteration. I think it fits your brand really well.
1: <laughs> so, what are
0: three pieces of art, whether it be like physical art, like a Rothko painting, or um, like a TV show, or movie, or book, or documentary? What What are What is just like three pieces of art that you would recommend new comedy students sure.
1: consume? So, first. I would read uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I believe it's Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the one who wrote Eat Pray Love and Eat Pray Love was garbage. But <laughs> um Big Magic is uh really good for people who are who are struggling with creativity and who want more information about how to be actively creative. Mm-hmm. There's I mean I have I obviously have like certain criticisms about her philosophy, but I think that it's a great place to start if you want to if you want to actively think about whatever body of work it is that you're producing, and that, and it's not just necessarily improv either, because it's very improv, I think is very fleeting, right? Yeah. Um. But if whether you're writing, whether you're composing or whatever, that's that's a great place to start. John Cleese's autobiography, which I wish I could remember the name of the, but it, it's just his autobiography. And he himself is not necessarily a very savory person. I wouldn't follow him on Twitter if you want like any kind of, like he he doesn't understand what critical race theory is. So ignore him for most of it. But that autobiography is very interesting because it talks about how to be actively creative and how to have fun with whatever it is that you're doing and the types of things that, and the types of ways that you can say yes to yourself while also like furthering your career or what have you. Yeah. So there's your number two. Uh, Number three, honestly, any horror movie, watch a lot of, it it could be schlocky, it could be artsy, (laughs) um, it could be like just, even if you're not like a super huge fan of straight up horror and you just want to watch a thriller movie, watch those types of movies because they play very well with the tension and release that's very... Easily mirrored in comedy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. There, there's a lot of overlap there. And I mean, honestly, like Jordan Peele has kind of proven that. Oh cool, yeah. Any of his movies are gonna be a really good source for you. Like if you watch his body of work leading up to whichever I I want to say that he put out a horror short before he put out an actual film, and I can't remember the name of it, but we can we can figure it figure that out later. If if you just delving into his body of work is a really good way for you to see the different connections between. Mm-hmm. Between those two genres. And I I think that, honestly, if you read, um, sorry, if you watch Key and Peele and you start to get a taste for, like, oh, okay, this is something that Jordan very clearly wrote, Mm -hmm. then you can kind of tell, like, oh, yeah, like, this is mirrored in the types of horror movies that he's producing. yeah. So, yes, those are my three. Those
0: are great. Those are three great answers. All right. this is uh, We're going to call this segment the First Thought, Best Thought. And this is one word answers only. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. First Thought, Best Thought. Uh, What is your idea of misery?
1: Never being able to perform again.
0: What is your idea of pure bliss?
1: The moment after a tap out when nobody knows what you're going to say and you know you have a really a really great contribution to make.
0: Yeah. Um, What or who is your biggest inspiration?
1: Me, no. (laughs) Um,
0: Really, I don't, probably my cat. Hell yeah. Uh, What is your biggest vice? Laziness. Do you ask permission or for forgiveness? Uh, Permission. And what one word best describes you and your brand of comedy? (laughs) <laughs> uh silly goth silly goth silly goth y'all that is a perfect perfect really yeah oh, no that was great silly goth is awesome yeah. awesome Well, emily thank you so much for chatting with me um we're gonna now transition into my literal favorite part of this podcast and we're gonna do some improv
1: Hell yeah. um
0: and so uh i'm gonna pull up a little generator for a suggestion should uh do you want a random word you want a location relationship starting line Ooh, what do you want
1: um let's let's do
0: a starting line starting line awesome okay let's see
1: this is perfect and uh i <laughs> okay first line is
0: wait a minute wait a minute you ain't heard nothing yet oh god okay <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute you ain't heard Nothing yet. Listen, Cletus, listen, Cletus. I, I've been listening and hearing you all goddamn night, all right? And I, I know you got you got yourself real proud of this banjo playing, but I'm exhausted.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know you're just a good friend. You've been listening to me this whole time. Yeah, Cletus. You I can't talk about banjo to nobody else. Uh-uh. I am so for- <laughs> fortunate. Cletus, I'm how much have you to... had
0: to drink tonight? None of your business. I <laughs> an entire six pack empty right next to you. I have had 0.0, 0 beers.
1: That's 0. Li- 0.0 That's a lie. That's a lie. Oh, I you're you're months. keeping your sober plan. All right,
0: all right, all right. Well, listen, Cletus. You know, I I I, just, I thought this was going to be a nice little hangout, and instead, of have listening to you monologuing about your banjo all oh, goddamn night.
1: Martha don't want to talk to me about my banjo playing. What? Martha don't want to talk to me about my banjo playing. I ain't got nobody else to talk to about well, it with. Well, now, wait a second. Wait a second. You and Martha
0: having problems? Oh, Cletus. <laughs> you and Martha having problems? No, not no.
1: I don't know. No, no. Cletus! Oh, my God. Yes, honey. Cletus! Cletus, please, I just want to hold hands and watch murder, she wrote. Cletus, please, oh God, won't you come, won't you come in the sitting room with me?
0: Cletus, I think that Martha just wants some some, inequality time. You know, I've been reading the five love languages.
1: The five The love- five love languages. What are the five love languages? Why don't you rattle them off for of okay, me? Right? I'm gonna <laughs> rattle them off for you.
0: Hey Martha, just give us a second. He'll be right in. I'm gonna teach him about the five love languages. Oh, you're a good man, Cletus. <laughs> that's right, because I'm Cletus too. Uh <laughs> oh, goddamn it. You know, listen, when it's Cletus one, Cletus two, that's what we've been best friends. That's why our whole lives we've been friends. Uh we mm-hmm. got the same name, different spelling. Different spelling. But same name. Five love languages. You got quality time. Mm. You got access service. Mm -hmm. You got something about touching each other. Uh, I think it's like, um, Uh, uh, I don't remember. It's something about touching each other. And then that's three. And number four is, number four is dogs. And then number five is, uh, I. (laughs) is uh caring for the elderly those are the five love languages and it sounds like she's just looking for some quality time you know i do love my elderly women i know you do i know (laughs) martha is 17 years older than you i know it was it was first sight i know the two of you you locked eyes across that
1: geriatric ward and it was like fireworks going off left and right. Fireworks going off and she really she it 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 helps that that demographic does have an appreciation for American folk music. That's right that's right they do they do they do they do they do they do well look you sound like a goddamn expert.
0: Listen I've been reading this book for a whole three days all right.
1: Whole three days. That's what I'm saying
0: it took it's taken a lot of mental space. Man. Well, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge with me, Cletus. You got to take care of that
1: woman; she's taking care
0: of you. You know,
1: she y'all can't see me nodding, but I'm nodding. Yeah. Uh, I am nodding. It's a good nod. That.
0: It's a good nod. Thank you,
1: you know, I got a lot of work to do on
0: myself. Yeah, well, let's let's name a couple things. I think you got to burn that banjo. <gasps> okay cletus cletus put down the knife i understand that that is it's offensive to hear but the banjo is getting in the way cletus
1: too. the nazis burn books okay you know. all
0: right cletus the well, nazis that is burned an books and they
1: burned art and i know that you are not of that ilk god damn it cletus one you're right you're right you're right i'm that just was. trying to make an extreme choice
0: here L- to save about, your marriage what
1: about what if what if i what if, what if What if? you just put it up? What if you just hang it up once in a while? And I, sitting on the porch with it in your lap all goddamn day?
0: I said, Clay, this one, that sounds like a pretty good, that sounds like a pretty fair deal.
1: Martha, I don't, eavesdropping, please. No, it's okay,
0: Martha. I like it when you eavesdrop. You got the voice of an angel.
1: Look. All right. Well, fine. What? Well, what? if I did put it up? I gotta. Per- I. Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. Put, put it up. Put it up. Just put it up. All right. That's step number one.
0: That's step number one. You put it up, and you know what step number two is? You go inside. You hold the lady's hand, and you watch. Goddamn murder she wrote.
1: <laughs> Why are you laughing at me, Cletus? One, listen. I'm trying to save your goddamn marriage. All right. That. that thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I, it's just. You know, when a man is confronted with doing something that he ain't never done before, sometimes you can't do nothing but laugh. That's true. You get scared. You get self-conscious. You do. Your ego's
0: a little bruised. I can see it from here.
1: They're dark bruises.
0: They're dark bruises. <laughs> and They're I dark. don't
1: spend a whole lot of time in the sun.
0: All right. Well, listen, why don't, why don't step one is you hand me that banjo and you let me put it up.
1: One more twang.
0: All right. One more twang.
1: By Virginia,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's our set. <laughs> oh my gosh, Emily, thank you so much. That was so weird and wonderful. Um, oh I love Cletus one and Cletus two. Uh, how
1: how is Cletus two spelled? I must know. Well, how is, is Cletus
0: it, one spelled?
1: I imagine that it is spelled C L E T U S.
0: See, and I was I was picturing uh, C L cleetass
1: Cleetas, Cleetas.
0: um thank you so much again for for having me oh my gosh today was wonderful and the hour flew by um is there anything that you'd like to plug or um, encourage people to check out mostly
1: like how can people find more about you social media or a website or anything like that sure sure um i'm never going to be famous because i don't operate social media regularly (laughs) but um my instagram is evil flying machine Mm -hmm. and uh you can uh, you can see me performing on stage with don't broken not fixin every sunday evening and with homeowners dissociation every wednesday evening and hopefully in the future i will also be doing some short form stuff, which is a whole other topic that I would love to talk about sometime.
0: Oh, we'll bring you back for a whole short form. <gasps> we'll do we'll do you short form back. games. Oh heck yeah, heck yeah heck oh yeah. This God. is just episode one of many. You Damn. Know? All
1: right. All right.
0: Awesome. Oh, Emily, cool. thank you again um to all of our listeners out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um as Emily said you can check out her two teams, Don't Broken Not Fix In and Homeowners Dissociation, and you can go to the website Dallas-ComedyClub.com for our current calendar and when those shows are Um, That's it. Thanks, folks. Stay safe out there.